just for everybody in the comments, I <laughs> I already went <coughs> I already went live. And, well, I thought I went live and I clicked the intro and then we started the show. And then I realized that I didn't have my little live thing at the top left corner. I was like, what the heck is going on? So sorry for being late. My name is Christian Wagner. I am the Militant Thomist, and I am here with Dustin. How are you doing? I'm doing great, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor and a privilege. So uh, oh, I'm very blessed. It's an honor to be able to talk to you. And for everybody that's wondering... People are already asking about the Pope Michael stream. So, hey, what happened to the Pope Michael stream? Really wanted to see that. Well, it's still happening, and it's happening tomorrow. Tonight was at this slot was supposed to be um, Michael Lofton from Reason and Theology, but for certain reasons we had to reschedule to, I think, March 11th. So uh, Dustin was supposed to be last night, but he had to reschedule. So here we are. We're, uh, we're having a very variable schedule this weekend. But... It's great to be able to uh, have you on. Yes, thank you, brother. Uh, and for all, all those wondering, the reason why I'm smoking a cigar is because my podcast is called Holy Smokes, Cigars, Catholicism, and Conversation. So I bring together two of my passions, which are cigars and Catholicism. Good mix. Yes, I bring together two of my passion, militantism and then also Thomism. There you go. So... Um, so the way this is going to kind of go is this is going to be an interview thing. We're going to go over your background. I'm going to ask questions. I know you already have done um, shows like this, so I'm going to try to be a little bit different than them. I, I have watched the uh, Reason and Theology one on uh, your conversion and then Temple Theology, but I'm going to ask all the um, weird questions that nobody else has asked and get all the odd details out. So Okay, I'm looking forward go ahead. to it. All right, so um, I am a form. Okay, so how how it all started? Um, I like to call this a full circle conversion. So I started out um, in the Catholic Church, baptized as an infant. Um, my mother's side is Catholic, and my father's side is Protestant. So, at the behest of my grandmother, they had me baptized in the Catholic Church as an infant. However, I didn't go through any of the other uh, sacraments. I didn't do um, confirmation. I never received communion. So my main influences growing up were my Pentecostal grand evangelical grandmother, who to this day, I say this every time I give my testimony, but she remains par excellence, the, the epitome of somebody who loves the word of God. Her Bible is in, she's 86. Her Bible is in absolute tatters. Uh, she still carries it around. She prays until three in the morning, uh, even while she was laid up in the hospital. You know, she was she was witnessing to people and led some people to Christ in her ward. So, uh, yeah, definitely looked up to my grandmother uh, growing up. My dad is a pastor's kid, PK, and my grandfather has since passed on. God rest his soul. So your grandfather was a Pentecostal pastor. Yeah, I don't know if he would have subscribed to that label per se, but mm -hmm. in, in, so, in leaning, yeah. So it wasn't um, any of the formal like Foursquare, Church of God, um, Assemblies of God. Yeah, it was nothing kind of like just an independent thing, you know, one of those things. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting, interesting. I kind of have a similar background. Um, my my grandfather was uh, an IFB pastor, 
Um, okay. So he was the epitome of a lover of the word of God, but also the epitome of anti-Catholicism. So yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was, so yeah. how, how would, um, what, what would, I don't know, um, if your grandfather passed before or after your conversion, but how, how did they, uh, how, how did they think of, especially your conversion to Islam, which we'll get later then also your mm -hmm. conversion to Catholicism? Well, <clears throat> my grandfather actually passed while I was still Muslim. And I remember one of the last times I went to his apartment, um, we had a conversation and he tried to explain, you know, the divinity of Christ to me. And he gave, I found after he died, there was a note in one of his Bibles and he left it there. And it was, it was, it was study Islam simply is what it said, because he wanted to understand that faith to be able to reach me. Um, mm -hmm. But he passed away while I was still Muslim. Um, and yeah, that was a very difficult time in my life. Uh, a lot of strain on my family, as you, as you can imagine. Yeah. So um, the way I basically grew up, though, in my youth, uh, I was a cultural nominal Christian where I would call upon God in prayer when I was scared or afraid or had a test coming up or something like this. Right. Um, but I didn't really have a radical conversion to Christ. I didn't know him. Personally, um, I didn't walk with him in, in that manner. You know what I mean? It was more just a cultural thing that your that your family did and what you subscribe to living in a so-called Christian nation. That was kind of my upbringing. Yeah. And um, what had happened is, well, 9-11 happened. And um, I remember writing uh, a piece for my university newspaper where I denounced Islam and I, I was so emotional. I wrote in all capital letters. Um, I was convinced that the God of the Quran was the biblical Satan and, and stuff like this. And so, um, that was sort of my first encounter with Islam was post nine 11. Um, and I remember what I remember stumbling across. It was a, a nation of Islam. Uh, lecture by Worth, Dean Muhammad, and Malcolm X when Malcolm X was still in the nation. And uh, they gave a lecture on, like, basically the meaning of Islam, the, uh, the, the, the person of God, the nature of God, and the true religion, and that sort of a thing. And so I, I sat there and I listened to it, and I listened to how they broke down the word Islam just meant surrender or submission of one's will to God, thus attaining peace. And one who did so was a Muslim, uh, Muslim, the one who submits. So to me, that made a lot of sense etym etymologically. And then I, I, it even extended it to, to all of creation and said, you know, the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, they all submit to the will of their, their creator perfectly. Therefore, you could say in a sense that the creation or the uh, religion of the universe of Islam and the universe is a Muslim. Um, so that, that was when the wall started to come down for me uh, and things started to make sense. But it's, it's, it's odd because I'm listening to the nation of Islam and probably a, a lot, I don't know how many of your viewers, if they're familiar with their doctrine, but basically uh, the black man is God and the white man is the devil. So this is what I came up under. And it resonated with me because before I stumbled upon Islam, I was looking into the black Hebrew Israelites and I uh, 
which I learned about through uh, the Wu-Tang Clan and hip-hop and stuff like that. I started going on uh, websites, Black Hebrew Israeli websites, talking about don't eat pork, uh, the Trinity's the white man's invention, Christianity's the white man's religion. So I started imbibing all of this before I stumbled on that Nation of Islam lecture. So everything was coming kind of to a head. And then I convinced myself that what I'd been taught in terms of religion and history was all whitewashed, was all Eurocentric. I wanted to get to the bottom of, you know, what, who, who is the original people of the planet? They weren't white. And what was their religion? Well, their religion existed before a tribe, Judah, before a person, Christ. And it wasn't named after a founder or anything. It was just the natural religion. So that's how I kind of squared things in my head. I hadn't yet converted. But this is the trajectory that I started to go on. Um, while I was in university, one of my religion professors, he taught uh, Western religion. Um, I was in his office and I said, hey, do you, have, do you have a copy of the Quran that I could read? And I borrowed it from him. And I never opened a Quran in my life. Um, but I remember taking it home and putting it side by side with the Bible. And just seeing such familiarity, you know, the mention of prophets like Moses, uh, the mention of the Torah, the children of Israel being chosen, David and the Psalms. The Quran simply, as the narrative goes, came to correct uh, previous religions, namely Christianity, among others, because that was that's a big no-no, associating partners with Allah, uh, the sin of shirk. So it came as a corrective, but it also came as a confirmation uh, to confirm what the message of the prophets had been from the beginning, which was surrender to the one God. And everybody from Adam to Muhammad had, had taught this and practiced this. And so this was the primordial faith and the belief in one God. There's no multiple hypostases. There's nothing It's not confusing. It's just, it's just one God. And that was it. And to me, that made a lot of sense. Because by the time I started started imbibing uh, Black Hebrew Israelite doctrine, I had already rejected the Trinity by that point. I don't think I saw Jesus as necessarily divine, but um, the anointed Messiah who died for the sins uh, of the world on the cross. Um, so that's kind of how the wheel started turning in the Islamic direction. I hadn't I hadn't formally converted converted even yet. Um, if you'll excuse me, I'm just going to light my cigar. Based. So, um, <clears throat> so at this at this moment, this seems like a a very interesting route you're taking. Is there a common uh, connection between Black Hebrew Israelites and Islam in the Nation of Islam? Is there like a pipeline that we we see between the two groups? Well, there's definitely similarities in that uh, in the the blacks and well. I mean, the blacks in North America for the black Hebrew Israelites are the lost tribes of Israel, which, which includes the Native Americans. Um, so it's more, and, and the devil is the, the Edomites, uh, the fair-skinned people, the Caucasian. And you find the same thing in the Nation of Islam. Uh, blacks are gods and the children of the Most High, and whites are intrinsically the devil. Oh, yeah, because uh, with the Edomite connection, it's because we got... because. Edom had had because Esau had um hairy arms. And, yeah, he, he was pink. He was pink, pink and hairy, right? 
Uh, I don't I don't get that though. Like they're they're twins. Like would would yeah, you I don't... say one was black, one was white? Like is there wasn't much critical thinking that went into No. No, <laughs> I don't this. I don't I don't believe so. Um so anyways, <laughs> um I was on the university campus and somebody put me in contact with a convert uh, to Islam who who was from Romania, who's now a famous uh, famous Islamic speaker. Uh, I'm not going to mention his name, but um, he's now world famous, believe it or not. But back then, he was just a humble convert, and uh, I had multiple talks with him. Um, and, you know, he basically just repeated, sans the nation of Islam stuff, obviously. But all the, you know, the Islamic doctrines, he would say, look, in the Bible, they prayed on their face, like, we Muslims do, they fasted, they went on pilgrimage uh, to the house of God, and so on and so on. So I'm seeing elements of the religion of Islam in the Bible, which gave it credibility to me, because it sort of confirmed what I saw the Quran saying, is that you will find this message in the previous scriptures, i.e. the Torah and the Gospel. So to me, I was seeing that unfold before my very eyes, and it gave it credibility. Uh, However, when it came to the person of Jesus, one thing really stuck out to me is the gentleman said that Jesus was never crucified. Um, it only there there's there's various accounts. There's the swoon theory um, where Jesus is severely injured, but he survives crucifixion. Um, there's the replacement theory where the likeness of Jesus was placed on somebody else, i.e. Judas, and Judas was killed. Uh, but Jesus was raised body and soul into heaven while he will, he will come again at the end of time and defeat the Antichrist. So uh, that, was the, that was the one sticking point that I really had trouble with was the, uh, was the crucifixion of Christ. But I said to myself, you know what, 99% of this stuff makes sense. So if it's that true, then they must be right about Jesus as well. So I sounds kinda... weird because I see <clears throat> in like if you read the uh, Gnostic Gospels, I read uh, a few of them. It seems to be just like repackaged like Gnostic theories when it comes to what happened to Christ, like an almost docetic way, but yeah. without the theology of Docetism. Yeah, there's in the Gospel of Peter. Um, uh, supposedly, Peter's standing up on a hill with with you know the real christ and he says who's that on the cross he's like well that's not really me i'm not really dead so you know something like this but it's interesting though that uh jesus in the quran is called uh kalimatullah uh, a word from god and he's also called ruhallah the spirit of god uh which is interesting however uh not word of god in the sense of the gospel of john more like the likeness of Jesus is is as the likeness of Adam, namely he was created uh, without the agency of a father. God simply said to him, "Be," and he was. Um, so, a word, the word "be," the command "be," and, and Jesus came to be formed in Mary's womb, as and she is a virgin in Islam. So there is the virgin birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's the, the perpetual virginity too. Yes, and interestingly. Um, it, say, it says in the Quran that she was fed by angels. 
So you see some elements of the Proto-Evangelium of James in the Quran, which is interesting. They, uh, Muslims have a very high reverence for the Blessed Mother, more so than some Protestant uh, brothers of ours. Very interesting. That's very interesting. So um, <clears throat> this might be uh, a little bit ahead of myself asking this question, but how now as a Catholic do you view that period of your life in relation to magisterial statements about um, about Islam and about uh, the relationship between Islam and its uh, worship of the one true God? I see it as uh, a lot of people have a difficulty with such statements. They say, how can, how can, how can it be the same God that's preposterous, that's blasphemous? Um, but I see it from a, you know, like a classical theistic perspective where I believe that Muslims are aiming at the fullness of the revelation of God. That's their intent to worship the creator of the universe and do his will. But because they don't have the full revelation of God in Christ, they don't understand the Trinity because the Quran does not portray an accurate uh, picture of the Trinity. Their, their aim is good. They're aiming at the creator of the universe. They're just missing the mark because they lack the fullness of biblical revelation. Yeah. Like if you read um, St. Thomas and even uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori, when they talk about the conscience and it's really and a um and what is it called a uh, ill-formed conscience mm -hmm. and a conscience which is misled even when you're doing materially uh, evil acts when it comes to the intention of following conscience it can be a meritorious thing which is really weird for us to think about but mm -hmm. i mean these these were no like post-conciliar liberals as uh, as some people would say yeah, there's preconciliar statements uh, claiming that the Muslims are are true monotheists. Yeah, so. I would uh, I, I would take it in the same sense that when Saint Paul is talking to the Athenians in Acts 17, mm -hmm. where he talks about you guys have been worshiping the unknown God, and if some Athenian pagans can be worshiping the unknown God, I'm yeah. sure that those with uh, an even greater access to uh, to revelation could be worshiping the unknown God. Yeah, exactly. So uh, at this point, <clears throat> it was um, two th around 2006, and I uh, I took my shahada, which is the Islamic uh, testimony of faith that there is no God but Allah, and Allah is just a con it's just a construction of two words. Al the and Ilah is something that is worshipped. So Al-Ilah or Allah is the is simply the Arabic word for God. I mean, Arab Jews and Arab Christians also use it. So there's no God but the one God and Muhammad is his messenger. Um, that's the testimony of faith from an Islamic pers perspective. So I took that in 2006 and officially became a card-carrying Muslim. So what school of Islamic thought did you belong to? I'm, I'm not too familiar outside of my interview with uh, Louis Dizon. And um, so, so like Shia, Sunni. Um, Sunni, just your standard, okay. standard Sunni. Okay. Um, but through the province of God, because you, you asked me, how do, I, <laughs> how do I view that time in my life? Well, it was extremely providential in a very, very weird way. 
um, I, I didn't stay ortho, quote unquote orthodox is Islamic for long. Um, in 2008, I ran across a lecture by a Nation of Islam scholar of religion who had gotten his PhD at the University of Michigan and did his PhD. Uh, and I'll mention the subject in a second, but I ran across one of his lectures, the Bible, the Quran and the secret of God or something to this effect. If I remember, if I remember, and he basically said, how, you know, that in ancient near Eastern fashion, Adam was created as the cult statue of, so he's the image of God on earth. The original man is the black man. Therefore, the black man is the original image of God on earth. And he manifests in various ways. You can see it in the Old Testament and so on and so on. And then I got a hold of his PhD the uh, thesis, which was um, the self-revelation of Allah in early formative Sunni Islam and the Bible. And as we know, the Bible, the Old Testament, contains many instances of anthropomorphic theophanies mm -hmm. and as an orthodox muslim this was an example of biblical corruption and religious excess and i would have no part of it however by this time i started uh, being influenced by this by this scholar and seeing well this is this is kind of the semitic worldview already so the anthropomorphic theophanies kind of makes sense and then i to my to my shock I found out in early Islam, um, the uh, jurist Ahmed ibn Hanbal, uh, he was firm on a couple of traditions. Number one, that Allah made Adam in his image. The reason why I'm saying it is because people will say, I'm a fake Muslim. I'm just doing this to gain converts. No, I really and truly was a Muslim. I, this, this isn't fake. Um, yeah. So God created Adam in his image. And also there is a tradition in which Allah comes to Muhammad in the form of a shab or a young man between the age of 30 to 33. He came in the form of a young man, placed his hand on Muhammad's chest and gave him some, uh, some sort of instruction, revelation, what have you. And I'm, and I'm, I'm shocked at this point because I, my Islamic teachers you know, they they would not have ever supported such a thing. God coming in the form of a man to the prophet? When this is like, this is what the Jews and Christians believe, but not us. We don't we don't go there. Uh, there is nothing like unto him. Uh, meaning in the absolute sense. Um, so this was, this was weird to me, but also exciting. Because now I looked at the Bible with a fondness. And any time I would see those theophanies in the Old Testament, because I started getting more interested in the Old Testament, I would get super excited at any sort of correlations in this respect between Islam and the Bible made me really excited. Um, and it was all because I stumbled across this scholar. So you want to talk about God putting somebody in my life, and we had correspondence as well. So God putting someone in my life to open the door for me to accept something like the incarnation later on that I would not have wanted to hear from somebody else like a Christian pastor. So this was a, a shock to me, but a very exciting one, as I said. And then through this scholar, I met another, uh, another gentleman, uh, a brother who, who um, again, I'm not going to mention his name, but he remains 
my dear friend to this day. We've been friends for over 10 years. So I met I met this brother and we would talk into the late night hours about the reality of God manifesting in human form in the Bible and Islamic tradition. And I said, yeah, I did. But can you believe, you know, the, the Christians believe that's Jesus? And I kind of laughed it off. Right. And then he said, well, you know, when when God came to Muhammad in the form of a shab between the ages of 30 and 33, how old was Jesus? He said that was the divine Christ who appeared to Muhammad. And he was a Muslim, by the way. Um, so I was in utter shock because I'm, wait, Christ, the, 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 the son of God is in Islamic tradition is, is the God of the Quran along with, you know, the unseen, what we, what Christians call father, of course, Muslims wouldn't call him that, but, and you have the mention of the, the Ruhullah, the spirit of God. I mean, you can find this in Islamic tradition and I was utterly shocked and this was my this was god breaking me down and it was my first real encounter with jesus christ so you talk about divine providence i would never have encountered christ in such a real way had, had i not met this person through these paths and through these people and finding some obscure tradition which lends credibility to the bible and then what i would later discover the incarnation um, so I, I remember it was one Friday where I asked my friend, can I bear witness that Jesus is my savior with you? Can I almost like taking a, a Shahada in a sense, can I, can I bear witness that he's the son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins and I want to accept him into my life. And so I did that. And, uh, this is, I, <clears throat> sorry to cut you off, yeah, no uh, problem, but bro. this this reminds me of, I, I think this is a really important book that any Catholic should read, but The Religious Sense by Luigi uh, Giussani. He, he talks about um, the way in which uh, you have the natural revelation of God and then mankind in a certain sense in seeking proximate goods, proximate truth, proximate uh, beauties forms uh, religious cults that yeah. cult in the proper sense not in the common right, sense exactly cultists, but yeah. yeah occultists and and they seek for god and in inappropriate and improper and false ways these uh religions due to the infection of sin are defective but there's still there's a, truth. there's still truth in it yeah so in in the conversion and the apologetic encounter when we are when we're talking to uh non-christians mm -hmm. that we play upon these various aspects of truth that are already found in their current uh false religion and yeah. we drive them to consistency and it sounds like this is an interesting way to do that with islam is you have yeah. these various traditions and aspects of islam where if you drove them to consistency then it would lead them to the catholic faith yeah um, and this is what God was doing incrementally, slowly in my life. So this encounter with, with Jesus Christ as a living person um, totally changed my life. So now I'm thinking, well, what do I do? I can't, I can't go to the masjid. I can't go to the mosque and freely express myself. But at the same time, I need a place to worship. I need a community. 
and while I was living with my parents, one of the house rules was, okay, you're going you're gonna to be Muslim, but you're going to come to church with us. And this was a Presbyterian church. So you're going to come to church with us whether you like it or not. And that's one of the rules of you staying here. Um, I actually got kicked out of my house one Ramadan for fasting. And I was away from my family for three weeks, uh, which was tough. But that was one of the house rules. And so I, I obliged. So when it came time to finding a place of worship, the, the natural sort of default was, hey, I can not only do I go back to this church that I've been going to and hating, hating the experience, uh, putting my fingers in my ears, but now I actually get to enjoy it and worship Christ and love it. So um, I started getting really active in the church and I started cleaning the washrooms. I, you know, I wanted to volunteer my, my time as much as I could. Uh, so I started cleaning the washrooms. Then I was editing the Sunday sermons for, for Vimeo. And I was just, I was loving life and uh, I, I was in love with Christ. But even still, I refused to renounce the Islamic faith. So I still considered myself a Muslim. However, much like the Protestant hermeneutic where being free in Christ means being free from religion, legality, ritual, I took it in the same way. So I stopped praying Salat, you know, the obligatory prayers. I stopped I stopped fasting for Ramadan and, and doing these things because for me now, being born again in the spirit, religion was an interior thing. Um, these are not to knock these practices, but I'm free from the law. Christ redeemed me from that. So I can just have a li living, breathing, free flowing relationship, walk with him without having to jump through any of these external hoops. So I stopped practicing Islam, but I still considered myself a Muslim. I still considered Muhammad to be a prophet. And how I sort of squared that was to say, well, Muslims have misunderstood the Quran and misunderstood their own tradition. Now I realize the absurdity of such a thing. Islam has existed for 1400 years. So imagine coming to, it's like coming to a Catholic and saying, hey, you've misunderstood the Christian tradition for 2000 years. It's not like that. It's like this. I can think of a few people who've done that. Yeah. So, but imagine doing that with Islam, right? T telling Islamic them Protestant. Yeah. Saying, <laughs> saying you've been, you've, you've misunderstood it this whole time. Christ is divine. Christ died on the cross. The Quran denies none of this. Any Islamic scholar or Hadith that claims such is you simply ignore it, brush it to the side. So that's how I squared it. That's how I still was able to maintain in my mind that Muhammad was a prophet. Islam was still true. Submission to God is still the religion. But Jesus is the divine son of God. He's the savior of the world. He died on the cross. He rose again. And uh, this is the proper way to believe in God. And so that's what I did for a couple years. Um, but that was about the change. Now, funny thing, you know, again, providence, right? Uh, communion is what shifted my view yet again. Although I had a symbolic view of Holy Communion back then, it was simply bread and wine. But still, I thought to myself, you know, Christ had put this injunction on us to do this, this ritual, uh, to, to eat his flesh and drink his blood, although I saw that symbolically, with bread and wine. And St. Paul says that uh, we pro in this way we proclaim his death until he comes. So this, this ritual meal was to be done until the second coming, which struck me because with the coming of Muhammad, do you have a Eucharist? 
No, the Eucharist is done away with. But that goes against the very command of Jesus and the very words of sacred scripture, namely St. Paul, saying this is to be done until the parousia. And further, uh, alcohol, um, wine, is a, a grave sin in Islam. So if I was to follow the command of Jesus and consume bread and wine, then I'd be committing a sin such that it could send me to hell by following the command of Christ. So I can no longer square the two, and I had to break with Islam, which I did formally in 2014. And then I went back, I simply went back to my Protestant roots, um, still attending the same church. But then I, uh, I got, uh, I crossed paths via YouTube with the likes of Paul Washer. I don't know. If oh, you, no. Uh, yeah. yeah. Paul I, Washer, right? I was reformed. Emotionalism. Uh, you know that, do you ever see that video? It's like three minutes long. He saved me, right? He, he, he no. gave it in, in a three minutes. He gave his testimony, how he was like, uh, you know, worse than the worst person in the world, nothing but dirt. And God took him and transformed him. He's in tears. So I started listening to, to reform guys like Paul Washer and I became a Calvinist. Uh, I wasn't really well, well versed in the tradition, but I, I believed in Tulip. And uh, for me, the church that I was attending, I, I discovered, okay, it's Presbyterian, but I don't hear this. I don't hear Calvinistic doctrines taught from the pulpit. So the church became not Calvinistic enough for me, and it was not faithful to its own tradition. And so I looked for another church, one that would be faithful to these doctrines. And so I met with a, a Baptist pastor. There was a small country church. It was a little white building like you see in the movies. And we chopped it up for about three hours talking about, you know, total depravity and all that. And uh, he loved Paul Washer. He loved John MacArthur. But by this by this point, I had some exposure to the church fathers, but it was namely how they were like St. Augustine was a Calvinist. It was a proto-Protestant, stuff like that. So but that I, I ran across the church fathers a little bit. And I said to the pastor, I said, you know, when I read the church fathers, I don't see, I don't see the bondage of the will. I see free will and other things like that that contradict Calvinism. And he simply said, well, anything that contradicts Scripture, which because he he saw these teachings as obviously scriptural, anything that contradicts Scripture, Paul Luther, don't listen to it, just ignore it. And at the time, it was satisfactory for me. It was good enough. So I went home happy, thinking I found my new church home. I'm going to bring my wife here, and it's going to be great. Um, that never happened. Um, one night, a friend of mine suggested, because we, he, he was a, a cradle Catholic, but he had a, a born-again Protestant experience, and we went to Bible studies together and stuff. And he said, you know, I've been going back to my Catholic roots and studying. And I had it out with them. And I said, what are you doing? You know, you're, you, Paul anathematizes this. This is another gospel. What are you doing? And I was like really angry. But he's like, you know, just check out, just check out this site, Catholic Answers. If you have any questions, you know, punch it in the, in the search box and see what comes up. And he said, watch this debate between Tim Staples and James White on Sola Scriptura. So whatever, you know, I'll, I'll do it oh, no. be, begrudgingly, right? <laughs> James White was one of my heroes. So I'm like, oh, James White's going to smash this guy. I don't know who Tim Staples is, but he's done, right? So I'm hearing Tim speak, 
And here's a Catholic who's quoting scripture and in love with Christ and talking about church history, popes and councils and, and all this stuff that I had never heard about. So intellectually, I knew that Tim had won the debate, but I didn't want to admit it. You know, I just I was still rooting for James, but um, I couldn't shake what I heard. So from that point on, um, this was in 2014, I was up all night researching Catholicism and I, I couldn't sleep. I had I was riddled with anxiety because you got to understand my view of the Catholic Church. It was behind GMOs, UFOs um, to deceive people. Uh, they sacrificed babies to Lucifer in the catacombs. This is honestly what I thought about the Catholic Church and how much oh I hated my. it. Yeah, I hated the church or what I thought the church was. So I'm I'm bargaining with God saying, look, because I'm be, I'm becoming convinced of its claims, the Catholic claims, but I, I don't want to go there because it's it's the enemy. Uh, so I'm I'll go anywhere, Lord, but don't make me go here. But eventually um, the evidence just became too overwhelming for me to ignore. And just as God had broken me down so many times before he did so again, I, ma I made an act of faith in 2014 and 2015 my wife and I entered the church. So that's when I became reconciled with Holy Mother Church was uh, formally in, in 2015. There you go. Okay, so um, before you before you continue, um, if you have questions, send them in the chat and uh, we'll, we'll try to get all of them. You can ask about anything you want, but uh, I can't promise that we'll have an answer. It's off topic. But um, so... 2015 to now give us give us a little bit over i notice i like to ask that question because a lot of these convert stories just stop but there's not the uh the what what's the where are they now that, where that yeah segment. where, are, yeah, they where now? are they now yeah. segment so what is that the where are they now segment for you it's a good question um usually when i give my testimony i stop there so that is a good question um I, the first the first couple few times I attended mass, I just remember weeping like a baby. You know, I, the the communion hymn the first time I went to mass was "Taste and See," like how fitting. And I just remember, you know, the consecration. My Lord and my God, I believe this is this is the Lord, uh, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and just just being so privileged and just crying at being able to receive Him, finally having the fullness of truth. Um, in 2016, I wrote my conversion story for the Coming Home Network International. So if anyone uh, wants to read read that, it's um, white, white Supremacy, Black Power, and the Road to Damascus. So if you just Google that, you'll find my testimony there in full. Sort of what I'm, what I'm going through here. But uh, if anyone wants to read it. Um, and I just remember, you know, my wife, she, she always encouraged me. She said, you know, you should you should write a book or you should start a blog or do something. And uh, last year in the summer, she said, you know what? You, you love listening to podcasts. Why don't you start a podcast? And I'm thinking, yeah, right. Like, I'm going to do that, you know, like every other guy in the entire world has a podcast. Yeah. Right. So, you know, what's the big deal? I, I don't know if I'm ready for that. But she said, no, you're doing it and you're starting tonight. And so she helped me get my old recording equipment. Um, she fixed up the garage for me 
and because uh, I used to do, I used to be a hip hop artist. I used to do music. So she grabbed all my old equipment, helped me get set up, and she pushed me. And one of the driving forces behind my podcast is temple theology. And uh, when I was a Muslim, that was one. Of, I hadn't mentioned that yet, but that was one of the things that really cemented my belief in Christ. Um, going through the works of Margaret Barker, who remains one of my favorite uh, scholars to this day. She's she's a retired Methodist preacher, but a lot of what she details about the first temple and Catholic and Orthodox practice, you could see how we have maintained through the living tradition um, elements of the temple being fulfilled, and especially, namely, that Christ was the Lord in human form. And this was a very ancient Semitic Jewish belief. It wasn't invented by Paul, who tried to mix Greco-Roman paganism with a pure, pristine Christianity or Jewish belief in God as a, as a monad. Um, so temple theology was huge for me. And that's one of the things that I focus on in my podcast is showing the temple roots of things like the Eucharist, Marian uh, veneration, Mariology, the papacy, and stuff like that. And I also do, um, I cover, you know, apo apologetics, uh, spiritual issues, current issues in the church, stuff like that. So um, my podcast is just over a year old, and I've had the pleasure of having people like my heroes I used to look up to. And I used to say to myself, imagine having a conversation with these people over cigars. And I actually get to do that now. So I've had people like Scott Hahn, Brent Petrie, Jimmy Aiken, Tim Staples, you know, the very person that was in instrumental in my conversion, and I've had him on a few times. Um, Rachel Fulton Brown, the author of Mary and the Art of Prayer. I've had Margaret Barker on four times. And, you know, she's like my Michael Jordan. And my most recent episode with her, if anyone wants to check it out, it's the Temple Roots of Christmas. So if you type that in YouTube, you see how uh, Christmas, the incarnation, how it's centered in the in the temple in Jerusalem. It's not pagan. And we, we kind of detail that. So that's kind of what I've been up to uh, 2015 till now. And and uh, and then getting married uh, and having three children and getting my own house where I, I lived with my parents till I was in my 30s. So I went from living at home, having everything done, to, done for me, basically, having like no responsibility to going from zero to 60, having a wife, having my own house, having kids. And um, actually, it's funny because my wife was very adverse to my conversion to Catholicism and actually threatened to divorce me over it. So one of the, th one of the things that softened her heart was... I don't know if uh, you want to say that on air. <laughs> uh, I've, said it, I've said it before, and I, we've had an episode together. Actually, my, my second episode that I ever did was how our marriage almost went up in smoke, you know, pardon the pun. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm comfortable talking about that. Uh, it's part of the journey. But one of the things that softened her heart was Rome Sweet Home. So mm. she would read Kimberly's parts and I would read Scott's parts. And we got to the, you know, the part on contraception. And we became immediately convicted of, you know, of what we were doing and how we were doing it. And we had our first child, we conceived our first child because of that. And so I credit the teachings of Holy Mother Church for my three three beautiful children so uh that's a yeah, little this sidebar might, this might be a little personal but uh <laughs> reading rome sweet home actually uh actually kind of did the same thing for uh me and my wife so uh, oh really yeah that's awesome thank you thank you scott Hahn, for 
both of our firstborns. Oh, and yes, yes. Thank you, Scott. And I, I'll be having him on March 14th, actually. I just remembered. So I've got him uh, March 14th, if anyone wants to check that out on my channel. Yeah, I need to, I need to talk to him about, about coming on. I've been putting off a lot of stuff like that. But uh, okay, let's uh, get into a little bit of the questions. I'm going to go all the way up to the top, see if there's any early questions. So again, Pope Michael's stream is tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. So be there. Um, make sure if you want to be in the live chat that you subscribe because um, I will be restricting the chat to subscribers only just to stop trolls. Because I could yeah. absolutely... A Pope Michael interview is going to be just <sighs> like just catnip for trolls i already like there's already so many likes and dislikes on the video and there yeah. every time i look at it there's people waiting in it it's it's gonna be that's gonna be a fun one yeah to, uh, to deal i'm with. gonna have to check that out for sure that'll be interesting so um so cheryl asks why is muhammad greater if christ was born of an immaculate virgin well speaking from a muslim point of view yeah um you know, the, the, the central Islamic claim is that no prophet is greater than the other because they all taught the same message. So uh, Islamically, you wouldn't say Muhammad is greater than Christ. They are brothers. Um, Islam does affirm that Christ is the Messiah, al-Masih. However, um, a Muslim could not tell you and never told me what the ramifications and impl implications were of Christ being the Messiah. What was the Messiah's role? Why is that significant? Nonetheless, he is the Messiah. Um, and he, not Muhammad, is because right now Christ, according to Islam, is in heaven, body and soul, and will return at the end of time with another figure called al-Mahdi, and they will overthrow the Antichrist and usher in the Day of Judgment. But I wouldn't say necessarily that... Um, Muhammad is greater. He's simply the last and seal of the prophets, they say. Okay. So uh, Cheryl also asked, um, the religious sense by Luigi who? It's uh, Giussani. It's some Italian. Um, G-I-U-S-S-A-N-I. -S -S and it's uh, called The Religious Sense. It's actually a trilogy of books um, on the claims of, well, on the claims of the apologetic method in general, and then also uh, talking about the claims for uh, the existence of God, namely the Christian God, and then also an apologetic for the church too. And they're very short. Each one of them is only like 200 pages, but it's jam-packed. So uh, be prepared. Awesome. So let me see. Okay. So AJ asks a bit of an inflammatory question, but uh, how do Muslims justify worshiping a black rock? Isn't that idolatry? Uh, no. Um, they don't worship a rock. They pray towards the Kaaba, which was um, the house built supposedly by Abraham and Ishmael as a direction for prayer so they face the kaaba they face east and they pray towards it and within the kaaba is the black stone and if you go to hajj if you go to pilgrimage um, they don't worship the black rock they venerate it so if we're to be consistent 
the charge could be leveled at us because we venerate statues that we're worshiping them. So we have to be fair mm -hmm. to what they actually believe. Um, and no Muslim believes that they're worshiping a black rock. They simply venerate it and worship is only for Allah. Same thing with us, right? We venerate the saints. We don't worship them. But Latria is reserved for God alone. And if anybody was to come to us, say, why do you worship saints or statues? We would quickly correct them. So I want to be fair. Yes. So John asks, how did the temple theology get forgotten for centuries? Most of the church fathers don't reference it directly. That's a good question. Um, I don't I don't know why it hasn't gotten more front and center coverage. Interestingly enough, it was Margaret Barker who coined the discipline uh, or the name of the discipline, Temple Theology, and actually spearheaded its serious study. Um, so it's I don't want to say it's new, but the shift in focus towards it is relatively new. As far as why it's been forgotten, it's hard to say. You say the church fathers don't reference it directly, which is true, but in substance, in in a, in roundabout ways to various degrees, there are connections made, obviously. But as far as why it's been forgotten as a central tenet, that's a great question. Uh, I think that, and it's my mission precisely to put more of an emphasis on it because it bolsters the Catholic claim to having the fullness of truth because the Jerusalem temple was established by God and was supposed to be a microcosm of creation. And so Catholicism restores the first temple and fulfills it. And so that's why it's important. As far as why it's not received more attention, that's a great question. That's a shame. And that's why I have the podcast that I do. Um, and hopefully I do some justice. And I'm not an expert. I'm not a scholar. I'm just somebody who's fascinated by it. So have you ever read um, Beale? on uh you see kind of in his uh his biblical theology just this massive like 1200 page just tank of a book he's a protestant but um he takes this principle of the temple as the microcosm of creation and then the garden obviously is the microcosm of creation which is adam adam being a priest, priest. In, the, in the garden and stuff like that and he just like Boom, just takes it and makes it massive. Have you ever read any of his stuff? That's G.K. Beale? Yes, G.K. Beale. I've heard of him. I haven't read him. Um, Good. But It'll I, put you to sleep. If you have insomnia, <laughs> then he's a great choice. You know, it's funny because you would think temple theology would focus solely on Christ and Christ being the fulfillment of, you know, the you know the priesthood and Old Testament prophet, the prophecies, animal sacrifices, stuff like that. One of my biggest finds and surprise pleasant surprises was the emphasis on mary and her mm -hmm. role in the temple um so this is interesting right um if you look at what creation is creation is sort of a macrocosmic theophany so if you want to look at it in a priestly way um the logos the sun is the mediator between the unseen father and creation and he's forever the high priest and he allows creation to be the veil for his glory and sort of like his priestly vestments so creation in toto acts like a veil or a priestly vestment for the logos and for his self-revelation you could say that creation itself is also the feminine principle um, it almost gives its fiat, 
let it to to God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, let it be done to me according to thy word. And you could say that the active power, the creative power, the masculine principle is God. Creation is feminine. Mm -hmm. And God has allowed the feminine to to weave for him priestly vestments to shield his glory from creation, but also reveal something of himself. That's at the macrocosmic level. Now, interestingly enough, microcosmically, you have Our Lady weaving priestly vestments of flesh for the second person so that he may enter in crea creation and interact with it. And that's why in um, Icons of the Annunciation, you see Mary with a, a red thread because she was weaving the veil of the temple externally for the temple itself, but also in her womb, she would weave priestly vestments for the second person of the Most Holy Trinity. So you have like a macrocosmic sort of analogy of the incarnation, the masculine and the feminine, the feminine weaving the priestly vestments for God, and you have it microcosmic, microcosmically with Our Lady in Christ. So there's a beautiful fulfillment there from the very fabric, no pun intended, of creation. Interesting. Never thought of it that way. But um, so the other Paul question, how much, if at all, did the accounts of Sahi Hadith chip away at your Islamic faith? And I mispronounced brutally every single one of those words. No, it, it's okay. Sahih. You know, you, you're, it, that's me flexing, though. My, I, only, my only Semitic language is Hebrew. So actually, some of the stuff you were saying in Arabic, I could, I yeah. could parse out like uh, the Ru Allah. Yeah. Like that, I, I got Ruach. Ruach yeah. 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 Uh, the Hadith, um, when I had an encounter with Christ, weren't a part of my faith life at all. The only time the only time I referenced them or would put any stock in them was like the hadith of the young man coming to or God as a young man coming to Muhammad. Stuff like this, which I, it's interesting because I I went to on the university campus there was a a Islamic study program and uh, a major scholar came to our campus and was giving various talks. And afterwards, I decided to ask him, uh, Sheikh, you know, like this, this tradition, what do you think of it? Oh, and he just says, oh, brother, you know, it's, it's daif, it's weak, just ignore it. But um, that particular hadith and hadith like uh, God creating Adam in his image um, and stuff like that, I really held, held those dear. But anything else I didn't really pay attention to. Um, some people, because of the you know the the deeds of Muhammad recorded in the Hadith, that's enough for uh, for them to leave Islam. Um, but for me, it was strictly theological. I wasn't bothered by um, you know con conquests and wars because that was simply a part of seventh century Arabian way of life and culture. So that that kind of stuff didn't really bother me too much. For me, it was strictly theo theological, and it leaned on who is the person of Jesus, and and that's really what drew me, not so much what is recounted in the Hadith. Okay, so um, let me keep going down. Okay, so John asked another question: What is the source of the Quranic accounts of the Old Testament prophets and stories about Jesus? I think, well, if, if I'm going to yeah, please, bring, please. bring forth, bring forth my, uh, my patrology. Yes, please. Um, in, 
in a Semitic culture like that, there would probably be, um, one is going to be uh, certain Jews that they're going to hear these stories from. Yeah. And then another is certain Christian groups that they're going to hear these stories from. And the reason that a lot of them seem so messy, so messed up and stuff is because in, in a seventh century Semitic culture, it's a lot of, um, oral tradition exactly and since it's on the periphery of uh christianity um as it is and it's a and it's it, well rural arabia would be on the periphery yeah it it doesn't exactly they're, they're not exactly uh texting bible verses to one another or sending yeah. a bible or something it's kind of hearsay of hearsay of hearsay and there's elaboration it's a very good storytelling culture so yeah. a lot of the things get changed around which is yes. which accounts for a lot of the differences yeah i would say the exact same thing brother is that you know they uh, muhammad and the muslims heard various accounts from jews and christians and it was like a game of telephone uh that's why you find things in uh you know it's it's interesting you find like um this episode where god creates adam and he commands all the angels to bow down to him, to prostrate themselves before him. And Satan is the the outcast because he refuses to do so. You created me from fire. You created him from clay. Why should I bow down to him? Well, you find this in uh, Jewish tradition. You find this also in a, in a document called The Life of Adam and Eve. Um, you'll find, like I said, traces of the Proto-Evangelium of St. James um, in the Quran on the chapter of uh, Surah 19, chapter 19, it's funny enough, entitled Maryam, after Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, I mean, even on these peripheries of, uh, of the Christian world, you're still going to have a lot of these, a lot of, this isn't like Rome in the seventh century where like, you're yeah. not going to have these heretical texts being read, but really they were just kind of reading and reciting and telling stories of whatever they could get their hands on. So yeah, a lot of times, much. especially since there's um, the sort of syncretic tendency in the, in, in the uh, Middle East at this time, like for example, Manichaeism comes out of slightly East of this area, but it was very popular in the, in the area of the, of the Arab world. Right. So like a lot of these things account for naturally why it's so weird and not just that everybody was wrong beforehand. Yeah, exactly. It's largely an oral culture, like you said. And so stories get heard and passed on. And I think they found their way into the Quran. Now a Muslim would say that they're in the Quran because they're simply true. Um, it, and it's funny, you'll find the story of the sleepers of the cave in Ephesus. You find that in the Quran as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, Copo, he has a good question. Why cigars? Why not regular cigarettes or a pipe? Uh, I find that, you know, well, okay. So I don't, if anyone smokes cigarettes, I apologize. I don't want to bash <laughs> anybody or the practice. But if you compare cigarettes to cigars, cigar, uh, at least good quality cigars, like this here is a Rocky Patel, which, you, as you can see, is canoed very badly. So I have to, <laughs> I, I have to fix that little bad boy but um you have like 400 plus chemicals in cigarettes cigars are simply quality tobacco and tobacco has been used for millennia by various cultures i find that it's relaxing 
it uh, stirs good conversation and meditation. A lot of times I'll be listening to a podcast or watch a YouTube video on the Catholic faith or even uh, pray the rosary. And I find that it just helps lift my mind to God. Um, there's a quote from Chesterton where he says three things go together in Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross. I find that to be true, although I would substitute uh, pipe for cigar. Why not pipe? Uh, simply because it's too much work for me. I just like to, I, you know, I like to just fire up cigars. I don't want to pack stuff and, and do all that. It's yeah, too, yeah, much, yeah. Too, too much work. Uh, pipes are really hard to hard to keep up, but I mean, it's so cheap. Like <laughs> it's a lot could, cheaper. Yeah, I could have like an entire month of pipe smoking for the same price as like literally one nice cigar. But on the other hand, um, I am not a regular cigarette smoker at all. I, uh, I socially like maybe once every other month, if somebody has a cigarette, sure. But I find that I really enjoy like, um, like a higher quality cigarette that isn't like, mm -hmm. isn't like Marlboro reds or maybe like a hand rolled cigarette because it's like, sometimes I want just a little bit of tobacco and I don't want to have yeah. to commit to an entire cigar. So. Yeah, it, it, it does take a while. Um, so you gotta, you gotta set aside some time. It's, it's very ritualistic for me. That, and I never, I never breathe in cigarette smoke. I always, uh, puff. Oh, you puff it out. Okay. That's yeah. Good. I always puff. I, I, because as the other Paul says, they can be lame addiction factories. So I'm not trying to die at 45 before the, yeah. the fruit of my scholarly work can be, can be done. And you know, it's funny. I actually read, um, an article that contained elements of studies where they compared uh, rates of cancer between non-smokers, cigar smokers, and cigarette smokers. And what they found was that there was no statistically significant difference between non-smokers and cigar smokers in rates of cancer. Um, if they were, it was like very minuscule. But uh, there was various factors at play, you know, your diet. Um, also, what you drink with cigars is important. Um, you know, it's it's nice to pair cigars with a bourbon or a whiskey, which I do at times. But when you drink alcohol with cigars, you kind of the alcohol takes away some of the mucous membranes in your mouth. So you open yourself up to more harm versus if you drink something like a coffee that doesn't have that effect. Uh, you have more protection orally. Oh, so coffee uh, and cigars. Ooh. Yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. So, um, yeah, some interesting stuff. But, uh, you know. If uh, if that's not up your alley, that's fine. I've had people tell me, you know, why why do you do this? And it's it's not good for you, or it's it's against the faith. I actually read an interesting um, article. I think it was the Catholic World Report on the history of tobacco and Catholicism, and people <laughs> would be shocked. I mean, they they looked at Saint Philip Neri's gums and in mouth, and they found that he was a big advocate of tobacco. <laughs> uh, St. Teresa of Avila had a snuff box. So did Padre Pio. Um, so, you know, there, it, it's, it's interesting. There's a, there's definitely a relationship there. Um, but you know, like everything in moderation and in the study, they actually said moderation for cigars is one to two a day, which I don't do that, but that's apparently one to two today. That's a little bit of an expensive habit right there. Yeah, it, for <laughs> but sure I mean, with, be. with like cigarette smokers, Oh my gosh, they'll smoke like a pack or two a day. Like I couldn't imagine because like, I feel like even after I just puff on one cigarette, like I just need to clean, like brush my teeth like 10 times afterwards, get the taste out. I've I never imagine, tried it like, 
20 yeah. to 40 a day like I, I don't know i've never sm- you know it's funny i can be in a room of cigar smoke and not bat an eye but if i pass somebody on the street who's smoking a cigarette and i walk past them even in the open air i can't breathe it's funny i've never actually tried a cigarette and i'm almost 40. man so it, keep it up. Never try it. <laughs> I don't think I will. I'm happy with what I, mean, I got here. Get, so. get yourself maybe maybe one day just hand roll one. See how you like it. They're they're pretty nice. If it's just tobacco, yeah, I, I might I might try that. And I'd like to try a pipe. Uh, the couple episodes that I've had with Jimmy Aiken, he's always had a pipe. So I definitely want to try I wish, it. I wish I could smoke indoors because like I'm in an indoor office right now, so I can't really can't really smoke in because you said you're in your garage, right? Yeah, this is my garage. I got the I got a heater on, and I have the back door cracked open. So I I, I got to have some ventilation, and it's it's working. So uh, it's all maybe good. one day I'll find like a I'll I'll somehow make an outdoor studio so I can just smoke while I stream. That would or be smoke awesome. While I my my suma just gets in years of uh, my suma gets like just years of uh, cigar uh, tobacco scent into it. Yeah, you got to break that irreplaceable. in. Irreplaceable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Lucas, he asks, what are the biggest inconsistencies in Islamic theology slash philosophy? Um, f- from what I encountered, I would say the biggest inconsistency uh, is the Trinity. If you read the Quran. The Trinity is Allah, God, Mary, and Jesus. And the conception is that Jesus is the Walid, or like the biological son of of God and Mary. And this is what's condemned. So, um, yeah, and it's funny because this is supposed to be the final revelation, and Christians have committed the biggest error by saying, Allah has a son, and when that is uttered, the Quran says the heavens are literally rent asunder when the, when this is uttered. So they they don't condemn what Christians actually believe, which is interesting. Like like what Orthodox Christian believes the Trinity is God, Mary, and Jesus? Nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, there might have been some group. Which I still have, I still yet have to find evidence of that actually believe that. Uh, you could say maybe the Coloridians, but I don't even know if that was the Coloridian view of the Trinity. Um, but other than that, I can't find any any sect that actually believe that among Christians. So I think that would be the biggest inconsistency, because then you could say, well, if you explain the Trinity to a Muslim, you could say, well, the Quran, Islam does not even condemn what I'm telling you, so maybe you should be more open to uh, mulling that over and potentially accepting it. So I would say that's probably the biggest inconsistency. Okay, so here's another one. Are there any miracle, at least claimed miracles in Islam today, like the Eucharistic miracles of the Catholic Church? It's an interesting question. It is an interesting question. I would say probably not among like the main Sunni schools of thought, Mm -hmm. but like Shiism, in various branches of Shiism, Sufism, because there's some interesting parallels between like Shia Islam and Sufism and Catholic and Orthodox Christianity, like um, the intercession of saints, the veneration of relics, um, getting getting blessings or baraka from like touching objects or 
visiting certain teachers and getting buttercup from their graves, stuff like that. Sufism so, kind of sounds a bit like Hezekiah to me in their spirituality. Yeah, it kind it kind of I would describe it that way too. So I would say not among Sunni Islam, but probably among Shia branches and branches of Sufism, you're more likely to find stuff like that. I wouldn't say as extreme as a Eucharistic miracle by any means, but um, it would probably be more likely to prop up among those like those Allah cured my grandpa's cold or something like that yeah or i went to the sheikh and i and i and i you know i touched his 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 thobe his robe and you know this happened or that happened stuff like that but you wouldn't really find that in like mainstream sunni islam okay so what do you think is easier to happen for a muslim to convert to christianity because of theology or for a christian to convert to islam well, I, I can speak from experience. For me, it was very easy to convert to Islam, mainly because I didn't know my own faith. I, yeah. I knew I knew nothing about church history. So when I would listen to Muslim apologists online, they would say they would rattle off Bible verses saying how Jesus says he's the Son of Man, therefore Jesus is a man. The parts that say he's divine, well, that's a corruption, and the Quran corrects that. Um, you know. They, uh, they prayed. They prayed facing east. They prayed on their faces, uh, and just like they would just rattle off Bible verses like machine guns. Yeah. And uh, if you These don't seem like bad arguments, yeah. If you don't know your faith, it's easy to say, "Hey, you know what? That makes a lot of sense." Mm -hmm. And then you come I get to, that. You come to distrust the Bible more, and then the more likely you you are to believe that God sent a final revelation without corruption, and that is actually Islam's biggest miracle: is the Quran. Um, because it it even challenges people, you know. Find one find one ayat, one verse that contradicts anything is 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 opposed to the truth. You won't find any. Reproduce something like the Quran, and you can't. So for Islam, the Quran, the very speech of Allah, uh, dictated by the angel Gabriel to Muhammad and passed through his companions, would be the biggest miracle in Islam, undoubtedly so. Okay. So, uh, so is there like exorcism in Islam? D two is asking. That's that's also an interesting question. Yeah, um, Muslims believe in a race of beings called jinn, which are not synonymous with angels. Um, genies. Yeah, that's where we get the word genie. So there, there are there are Muslim jinn and non-Muslim jinn or kafir disbelievers, and some people. Uh, you can actually look this up on YouTube. Just Google Islamic exorcism. You'll see examples of like Muslims exercising jinn out of people, supposedly. So yeah, there is there is that in there. Okay. So what is the future of your channel? So like, what what do you do? You plan on just in perpetuity, kind of doing like weekly interviews do you want to just ramp it up do you want to make it your full-time job do you want to like what what are you what are you planning for it do you have any good plans for the future well um i want to get i want to get more subscribers obviously like i've been doing this for a year i have just over 700 i'd like That's to good i'd like to see because every every 500 subscribers i get i do a, a free book giveaway so when i hit a thousand i'll i'll be doing that so i just want to I, I want people, I want Catholics especially, to discover the riches of temple theology and see just how biblically based our faith actually is. 
like something something like the papacy you find in Isaiah 22 uh, with the royal steward in the Davidic kingdom. Like a lot of people aren't aware of this stuff. So um, it's a, or the Eucharist, you know, um, the bread of the presence in the temple on a golden altar with incense. Like there's just so many connections. And I really want Catholics to just treasure that and see how precious our faith is. And then for non-Catholics who might be inquiring to say, hey, this is really biblically based and, and, and grounded in biblical truth. It's not paganism. It's not barnacles attached to an otherwise pure Christian faith that was lost, but it's been maintained for 2000 years. I want people to realize this. And uh, so the more viewers, the more subscribers I get, the better. But in terms of plans, I mean, I've already had, you know, people that I consider heroes on my channel, like Scott Hahn, Brant Petrie, mm -hmm. Jimmy Aiken. So as far as that goes, I can't really I can't really top what I've done so far by the grace of God. So I just want to continue what I'm doing, get more subscribers, more views, do more book giveaways and just have fun. You know, like the the title of my channel is uh, Cigars, Catholicism and Conversation. So I just enjoy conversation about Catholic things and I enjoy cigars. So for me, I'm content with that. I don't want to become famous. I'm not a scholar. I'm not I'm not a professional apologist. I'm just some sinner. Uh, some dude who got God has touched. He didn't have to, but he brought me full circle from my Catholic baptism through Protestantism, through Islam, back to Protestantism, and full circle back home where I belong into the faith in which I was baptized. And for me, that's enough. Like I just want to grow in holiness and uh, help get my family to heaven and influence as many people as I can. Oh, this is this is a heartwarming one. Armed with Reason thanks me for being the first theology YouTuber to answer one of his questions in a live chat. And he declares that I'm the most intelligent being in the Catholic faith. So I'm that's very, quite, very flattered, but I'm far from it. That's quite the compliment. And uh, I just realized the last question was from James's interviews. I encourage everybody to check out his channel as well. He's got some great stuff. And I want to give a special shout out to James. And thank you for watching, brother. He... Uh, he actually went to RBC where I did my undergrad work. So uh, we, we have some CD connections with a, between a few mutual friends that we have. Yeah, you guys, uh, you guys did an interview together, right? Yes. The people, people call that my, my best interview I've ever, I, one of my conversion, my best conversion video that I, that I put out. People really loved that one because James and I, it must've been almost three hours. We just sat down wow. and talked yeah. about every little detail and he, is wondering about everything so people yeah, he's, he's also guy. if you want to if you want to juice that video um uh i can't remember what its name but if you just go to james's interviews then you can uh you can see that video in there isn't it from anglicanism to catholicism i, I think, think it is what, i think like called. every because i i had what three or four uh i think it might have been four interviews that i had in my intervening period between when i decided to convert and then when i a few months later when I went off a little break that I took. Um, and, and I think every single one of them were named from Anglicanism to, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. Catholicism. Right, right, right. So uh, that's all we have for you. Any, uh, any last final words that you want to, you want to give us? Um, just, I ask you to pray for me. 
um, I ask you to pray um, that I become a better husband and father. Um, I have my struggles with uh, with mental health, um, and it's been a heavy cross for me to bear. So I just want to be healthy. I want to be whole so that I can be the best husband and the best father I can be and help get my family to heaven. I want to be I want to be Christ to my wife as Christ is to the church. And I want to be St. Joseph to my family as he is to the Holy Family. That's my only goal in life. So anything that's going to precipitate that, facilitate that, um, I, I, I want it. And anything that gets in the way, uh, it, may it be thrown into the sea. So I just ask for your prayers. And please uh, subscribe to my channel, Holy Smokes, Cigars, Catholicism, and Conversation. Uh, let my prayer arise in thy sight as incense. That's my tagline. Um, and just, uh, yeah, everybody be blessed and never take the Catholic faith for granted because it is a precious jewel. It is the pearl of great price, the treasure hidden in the field. Yes. Amen. So all of you, you, I'm talking to each and every one of you right now. You, if you think I'm not talking to you, I am talking to you. Go to Dustin Quick's channel. Not yet, not yet. I still have a few things to say. And go subscribe. And then also, as I tell you guys, at the end of every video, make sure you join the Discord. I cannot tell you how important that is. I will put it in the live chat right now because there's the possibility of me getting nuked. Also, it allows you to ask any questions you have any time of the day, and I will probably answer within... 24 hours and if not you'll have one of the other extremely smart catholics which are in my discord who will be able to answer your questions and then also um become a patron that is very important and i'm talking to you um enough freeloading just, just kidding <laughs> <laughs> just kidding you can stay on here for free as long as you want and i'm glad that you're here but um if you would like to get even more resources um I have extra, an extra video, an extra blog post every single week uh, for you guys. And then I'll also have some extra channels in Discord. And those are very important because we debate um, some philosophical and theological issues there. And it gets really deep. Like uh, the other day we were talking about uh, whether the agent or the passive intellect is superior in, in Thomistic anthropology. So so fun stuff like that if, you're, if, if you want to just be immersed in some some of those conversations that is very beneficial for you and it's of any amount i don't have tears like other people i i trust in your charity that you will make an informed decision of how much you are able to afford so i have one dollar patrons i have twenty dollar patrons i have more than that it's whatever you guys want and um oh yeah also copa makes a very important point the most important part of the patron only is the meme channel. Well, that, of course, of course, because support. you get entered in. I know all of you love um, love the chill stream. The chill stream has received just raving applause because I've heard people have almost died from car crashes. They were laughing so hard while oh, they were wow. listening to the chill stream. Yes, and we do a meme review. So if you want to submit a meme, that is the only way I'll take it. If you try to message it to me denied if you try to tweet it and tag me denied but if you are in the text channel of the meme review it will be accepted and covered so that's all i have for you today um thank you again dustin this was a great conversation i people have 
definitely enjoyed it. And I've heard many people in the chat say that it's been interesting for them. So thank you. Good. Thank you. Thank you. And you have to come on at some other time. Uh, we can, you know what? I want to, I want to bring you on to talk about cigars, just, just to have kind of a chill stream type thing. I'd love that. Um, yeah. Just talk about favorite type of cigars. Just give everybody a primer on the art of cigars. And I have another friend named Eric who is Eric redacted on my chill stream. And he's really into, uh, high quality cigars too. So we can all sit Beautiful. down and just talk about cigars. And I think that would be amazing. That would be. And and brother, again, uh, I can't tell you how honored and blessed this time has been. And I thank you for having me on. And I, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you came home to Rome and uh, I support you fully. And uh, anybody who's watching that is one of my viewers, please support Christian subscribe to his channel share his videos he's got awesome amazing content so uh, i'm thankful for you too uh, as well brother thank you thank you and i will see you guys all tomorrow at 4 30 p.m for the much waited for pope michael interview he will be convincing you that he is the successor to saint peter and god bless everybody and god i will bless. see you later all right take Glory.